Good morning. Your interest in this assembly is appreciated, and we have an assumption about people who are present here. You are here because of your respect for God, your belief in Christ, your desire to know what the Word of God teaches, and then conduct your life accordingly. You are, be, are to be commended for those interests. We use the Bible here, and we will begin this morning in Matthew 28 with verses 18 through 20. With your traditional Bible on paper or your digital copy, we invite you to open to Matthew 28 verses 18 through 20. The subject I will address from Scripture this morning has been treated with much discussion in religious circles. I do not foresee a time when it would be wise to neglect this subject. From Scripture, I'll use a very simple approach I pray will be helpful to each one in our understanding and then, of course, in our daily walk with God. We start here in Matthew chapter 28 at verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This was after the resurrection of Christ. In these few words, Jesus urges these men to be focused on the work they are now to undertake, the work the apostles would be doing, the spread of the gospel and calling upon people to obey. In that obedience, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Who is the Holy Spirit? What does He do? What do we need to know? Now, I should be clear, in one sermon... I cannot answer every possible question or cover every passage that speaks of the Holy Spirit. I believe, however, I can use Scripture to ground us in truth about the Holy Spirit and use Scripture to guide us away from any confusion there might be. And that's my purpose. I want to respond now to three simple Questions: Who is the Holy Spirit? What did He do in the early days of the church, what we commonly call the first century? And what is He doing today that pertains to our knowledge of how to live right before God? We must proceed carefully 
with a clear mind, willing to be taught, willing to be corrected if necessary. As with any other Bible subject, we must not impose onto the subject the feelings, opinions, and impressions that we may have held for many years. A clean and fresh look at the subject should never be feared. Who is the Holy Spirit? Now, I prefer who instead of what. Because the Holy Spirit is a divine person. Not an undefined force or a thing, not a ghost or some eerie influence. <clears throat> he is not some nebulous it with no personality or will. He is in this Matthew passage to be named and exalted in baptism equal with the Father and the Son. Here in this Matthew passage, there are three divine persons. And only three in this grouping. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When you just pull up passages from your Bible about the Holy Spirit, and read those passages, He is described as divine and with personality and will. In John 16, 13, he is guiding, speaking, and declaring truth to the apostles of Christ. He can bear witness according to John 15, 16. Search hearts and make intercession on behalf of others according to Romans 8, 26. There are three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. There are only three in this holy, eternal classification. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now, in the animal kingdom, there are innumerable members. In the human family, there are innumerable members. In the divine family, only three, the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit, and all three are named in connection with the authority of Christ in baptizing people in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. So we need to be certain we think and speak of the Holy Spirit correctly. That we never attribute something to Him not taught in Scripture. He was active in creation according to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. He was active in revealing God's message to the prophets, 2 Peter 1, 21, always working in perfect harmony with the Father and the Son to provide and offer to man the truth about how to get out of sin and how to live before God. What did the Holy Spirit do in the first century? By that I mean the early days of the church, the time of the apostles, before and during the time the New Testament was being written. What did the Holy Spirit do then? This is not exhaustive. In the Bible, I want you to consider just three examples of what the Holy Spirit did back in that time frame. 
Number one, Luke 1.35, the Holy Spirit caused a virgin to conceive a child. Acts chapter 2 tells us the Holy Spirit filled the apostles and they spoke as the Spirit gave them utterance. They were able to speak languages they had not learned. And then, curiously, in Acts 8.39, it tells us that after the baptism of the man from Ethiopia, Philip, the preacher who taught him, was caught away by the Holy Spirit, so the eunuch saw him no more. Now, I want to stress, these are just three examples of what the Holy Spirit did in the first century. I could go through everything, every passage, every instance of the Holy Spirit's work in the first century, but I think you understand if I did that, we'd be here 40 days and 40 nights. So believing that would be outside the limits of this time, for our study purposes now, three examples. The Holy Spirit caused a virgin to conceive. The Holy Spirit filled the apostles in a very specific manner to them. They were able to function as apostles, speak languages they had not learned, and the Spirit gave them the utterance of the gospel that we have written in the New Testament. And then Philip baptized the eunuch, and after that, the Holy Spirit caught Philip away. The English Standard Version says, carried Philip away. I want to make one point about that. At this point in our study, I want to lay down a premise that I think should be obvious and is very helpful. The historical fact that the Holy Spirit did something in the first century cannot automatically mean that he's doing the same thing today. The same observation can be made of God and the Son. In Acts chapter 5, God executed Ananias and his wife by the way, it was because they lied to the Holy Spirit. In the book of Hebrews, one key argument is that Jesus Christ died for sins only once. It is a critical argument in Hebrews that his sacrifice was once for all, a once for all event. Now, what I'm getting at is important in all Bible reading and study. It has to do with the way we read the Bible and draw conclusions and get involved in beliefs and practices that need to be seriously revisited. There is no reason to read some event reported in the Bible and assume that the same thing has to be happening today. You know, we wouldn't do that with any other historical record, would we? We wouldn't go through some history book of American history or Western civilization and come to an event we're excited about and just assume that's happening right now. We shouldn't do the Bible that way. I cannot, for example, read something God reported in the Old Testament and without any other instruction assume that God must be doing the same thing today. That's not an objective reading or use of Scripture. So the historical fact that the Holy Spirit did something in the first century cannot mean that He's doing the same thing today. 
Is the Holy Spirit causing virgins to conceive? Are there apostles today being filled with the Spirit the same way described in Acts 2? Have you ever heard of of or seen a preacher being caught away as Philip was in Acts 8? One of the truths I believe I need to nail down is this. We cannot just look around in the religious world, see something exciting, and then thumb through the Bible and find something that looks like that, and then jump into that and claim that with both feet. That's just not the way to be a Christian and handle God's Word. How about this? Read the book the Holy Spirit gave and handle it fairly and rightly and objectively and do your reading and study in context. Read Scripture and let God's Word inform and direct all your knowledge and all of your claims that way. You are not following a crowd. You're not following your own emotion. You're not jumping to conclusions. You're following Christ. You're not going where the excitement is. You're going where the truth is. The Holy Spirit gave us a book. The Word. Let the Word excite your passion and discipline your life. In the first century, the Holy Spirit empowered apostles in that initial work. Gave special gifts to some Christians, confirmed the delivery of the gospel through signs and wonders. He engineered evangelism to get things started initially. He gave the persecuted apostles the very words they spoke when they were accused. He spoke to the seven churches of Asia through John. He spoke expressly through the apostle Paul about events and apostasy that was ahead. It is a popular assumption, but not an authentic use of Scripture to just assert that everything you read about the Holy Spirit back then, He's still doing that all today. The Holy Spirit is an eternal, divine person who was active in the first century, empowering the apostles, revealing the message that we have in this book. He is not an exotic phenomenon of mainly emotional significance. He is not the generator of external excitement that has no connection with the truth he gave. He is not the director of your life apart from the word of God he delivered. What is the Holy Spirit doing today? I can't in some exhaustive treatment tell you everything God, the Son, the Holy Spirit are doing today in the realm of providence and answering prayer. We don't need to know any of that. God will do as He wills in response to prayers and in the exercise of His wise providence. And to whatever extent the Son and the Father and the Holy Spirit are active together, we don't need to be consulted about any of that or informed about any of that. There are certainties, though, we can hold to. When a lost sinner 
hears and obeys the gospel message, that person enters into relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's back in Matthew 28 where we started. But that indwelling never means any conflict with what is written, nor does it ever minimize the attention we must give to what is written in the Word. I'll put it this way. There is no passage in the Bible that says this. The written Word is okay, but just wait and the Holy Spirit will send you something else. A personal message. He will enlighten you and speak to you apart from and perhaps in contradiction to the written word. There's no such teaching in the Bible like that. Think of it this way. What does the Holy Spirit use? What is the Holy Spirit given for us to cut through the storms of life? In Ephesians 6... And in verse 17, we are told what the Holy Spirit has given to equip us to cut through the storms and challenges of life. It says, Ephesians six seventeen, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. I believe we can be certain of that. We can be certain of that. We can know the Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit to direct us. One of the clearest statements of this is in 2 Peter 1.21. Holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. Or in 1 Peter 1.12, the apostles delivered the gospel. They were preaching the gospel by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. The Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. We read Ephesians 6, 17. We're talking about something we can know. It is written in these and other passages that the Word of God was given by the Holy Spirit. How do I cut through life? How do I cut through my own heart to weed out the sin? How do I cut through the challenges in life? I use what the Holy Spirit gave, the sword of the Spirit. Please, turn to Galatians 5 and find verse 22. I'll read through verse 26 and conclude with this. Galatians 5, 22 through 26. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. I'm going to tell you something, folks. 
I almost feel sorry for this passage. I feel sorry for this passage. It may be one of the most neglected of all passages in the Bible about the Holy Spirit. Much discussion. Volumes have been written about the earnest of the Spirit, the seal of the Spirit, the anointing, the gifts. Those passages excite the interest and become the fuel of debate. Nobody ever wants to debate in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. I've said to new Christians many times, put this passage on the top of your list. Not the book of Revelation, Leviticus, or Lamentations. The whole Word of God needs a good reading, yes. But when you first become a Christian and you take those first steps from the baptistry into real life, develop your character and acquire thought patterns necessary to the task by reading and putting into your life the fruit of the Spirit. Somebody will say, I want something from the Holy Spirit. How about this? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And where are you going to get these attributes? You're going to get them through your reading and your study and your application of the Word given by the Holy Spirit. Don't just wait for some sort of inner prompting that will give you answers. Don't just Google. Just keep reading. And let the Holy Spirit teach and discipline you through the Word He gave. You can be certain of that. Now, if you never figure out exactly the answers to all the questions that men raise, if you change your mind 15 times about some of those questions, if you never figure out what's going on behind the scenes or exactly how providence works, if you don't know perfectly about all these things, you know exactly what God wants you to do. You can read, you can understand what the Holy Spirit gave, and you can become involved in love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. That's what our interest ought to be. And that interest is served by opening this book, by reading and studying, and then just doing what the book says. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, the Holy Spirit gives you that direction in His Word. We invite you to come while we stand to sing.